Take the never, okay. Wow, interesting. Krishna Chaitanya. Namal Vishnu Badaya Krishna Prashkai Bhutalai Srimati Bhakti Vedanta Shamini Tinamane Namaste Saraswati Deve Gauravani Pachadine Nevisesa Sandivari Pachadine So yesterday, if you missed, we had been asked to speak about how to deal with separation of your spiritual master or separation from a great Vaishnava. And we had two classes. One was the morning class in Russian, and then we had a class later huh, for the women's Sangha, which was open to everyone. And there were women will post them. If you didn't have a chance to watch, watch them, it will be, I think it will be helpful. And there's uh, one other thing I wanted to add. We hadn't discussed, and I just heard this yesterday, that... Um, Govinda Maharaj had told the story of Bibi Govinda that when Prabhupada left, Bhakti Chirasami was completely devastated. That's all he knew was Prabhupada. And he said, How will I go on? Probably more devastated than his disciples are now. And uh, Shiva Ram Swami was talking about this and he said, he said, but he went on. He He just maintained his Krishna consciousness because he knew whoops he knew that's what Prabhupada would want so he he maintained his Krishna consciousness even though he was distraught because he knew that's what Prabhupada would want and, and Sri Ramos was saying that's what he would want all of us to do that's what he would expect of us to do and then uh, there's a story Maharaj was expressing um, knowing that Prabhupada would soon leave and Prabhupada said but this is what I've been teaching you how to deal with this so kind of like Prabhupada saying don't let me down now after everything I've taught you so I thought that was a good point, that Maharaj himself had to go through this. He set the example, and he would expect all of us to also learn to cope in a Krishna-conscious way and remain steady. And, you know, it's, it's really interesting because we had discussed this purport where Prabhupada said when the spiritual master leaves you should cry right and, and then one may think well if you're crying and you're distraught and how can you be steady in your bhakti and you're saying well bhakti Charaswami would expect us to be steady but we're so distraught and Prabhupada's saying here you know you actually should grieve now, this is I think the key point that life life's events will cause us to be distressed, but we should never give up our service, and that's a that's the indication of the purity of our bhakti. That even if we are affected by loss or whatever um, is affecting us, we never give up our service. We never say, "Okay, now I quit. I can't go on." We tolerate. We deal with somehow or other the. 
we somehow or other deal with, tolerate, process the emotions we're experiencing in a way that we still can satisfy Srila Prabhupada and our gurus by remaining steady in their service rather than allowing that emotion to destroy us. And that's not what they taught us and that's not the example examples they have set. You know, Prabhupada set the example of doing exactly what his spiritual master wanted, even though without the help of his god-brothers, without a unified Gaudiya Math, it was difficult. So, And he was distressed by it, there's no question. It's not that he doesn't get distressed. They definitely are distressed on the spiritual level when anything which could help the conditioned souls becomes hindered or corrupted or dysfunctional in some way. So certainly Prabhupada was upset by the condition of the Gaudiya Math. Certainly he was upset by the condition of the world. Certainly he was feeling separation from his spiritual master, but it doesn't really manifest so much. You can't see it externally. Only externally you see this person who was fixed in following the order of his spiritual master. You may know that there was a point around 1970 and there were some things going on in the movement that were very, very upsetting to Prabhupada. And I didn't really know how it was affecting Prabhupada, but he couldn't translate, he couldn't even sleep. It was because he he was very concerned that there were elements in the movement that could cause the destruction of the movement. So you can imagine he was upset. And I was around Prabhupada at that time a little bit. I was initiated in 1970, two initiations in 1970, so there was no indication externally that Prabhupada was upset or concerned about the future of his movement. Externally, he was stable, steady, blissful, strong, as you would expect a pure devotee. So I think this is really significant that it's not that it's not that we want to say if you're feeling distraught or whatever it is you're feeling that you shouldn't feel it. We're not saying that. In fact, Prabhupada's saying it would be wrong if you don't feel it. If your heart is hard and you feel nothing when the Vaishnava leaves, that would be wrong. You should feel it. That's normal because you're you're a Vaishnava. You, you've, your heart is soft. You've lost... <coughs> excuse me. You've lost... The association of a great devotee, you should feel distraught. That's normal. Not you should feel. You will feel. It's natural. But but pure devotional service, the pure devotional service that we want to practice or we want to follow in the footsteps of the pure devotees is that even though we're distraught, we don't allow that to disturb our service. We don't allow that to disturb our sadhana. So I think this is a very important point. And, and of course, you could apply this to any event in life, not just the loss of a Vaishnava, the loss of a friend, the loss of a relative, a setback, um, something that goes on within our movement that you don't approve of or is disturbing anything. It's, it's natural to be disturbed by many things, even... Great devotees will be disturbed. 
because because it's in relationship to bhakti. They're not disturbed by material things, but things which are in relationship to spreading Krishna consciousness in relationship to their own bhakti. Though uh, the it's natural to be disturbed transcendentally, but it's not symptomatic to be disturbed in your service, to be disturbed. The disturbance is not, it's not from the modes of nature, it's transcendental disturbance. So we make that distinction. So I think that's that's important. Um, sometimes devotees question, you know, it, it's always this, well, if I'm lamenting, it must be material. Not necessarily. The lamentation has ramification. Well, if it's, Material, if it's in the mode of ignorance, the ramifications will be all the symptoms of the modes of ignorance. But if it's not the mode of ignorance, then the, the symptoms will be transcendental and it won't affect much one's day-to-day activities. So there's a story, some of you may know this story, it, it, it illustrates this point. Arjun lost his son in the Battle of Kurukshetra and Arjuna was very upset. And so this man questioned Prabhupada, how is it, or it wasn't even a question, he actually challenged Prabhupada. Arjuna is supposedly a pure devotee, Krishna's friend, eternal associate, and now we see that he's lamenting for the loss of his son. And Prabhupada, his, the first part of his answer was simple and common sense, but maybe something we don't understand. And Prabhupada said it's natural that he would lament for the loss of his son. Now, in the Bhagavad Gita, we hear Krishna saying, "One wise man doesn't lament for the living or the dead. The wise man does not lament in the way the unwise man laments. But he does lament. It's a different kind of lamentation. You know, Bhakti Chiruswami has gone back to Godhead. It's glorious. We're happy. We celebrate. We celebrate his life as a great Vaishnava. We're not lamenting that we've lost sense gratification, that we were engaged in sense gratification with this person, and we've, we've lost that. We're lamenting that we lost the association of Vaishnava. And so, Prabhupada, but Prabhupada's also making the point that if you lose your son, it's natural, there'll be some lamentation. But it's a different kind of lamentation, because Prabhupada said, even though he was lamenting, he never stopped fighting. You know, in other words, he he wasn't dysfunctional. He wasn't handicapped. He wasn't sidelined by that lamentation. He said that that's the sign of a pure devotee. That whatever emotion that they're experiencing, it doesn't handicap their bhakti. So I thought that's a nice story that would support what we're saying and a very important point to remember. And I just, I'm just... I just want to acknowledge that life is sometimes difficult. And I remember when I was a young devotee, I think I was married when I was 21 or something. And about three years later, my wife just all of a sudden said, I'm moving to Los Angeles. And we lived in San Diego. Like, I don't want to be with you. Like, out of nowhere. I just thought, what, what, what can I do? And then one sannyasi said, you really should come and speak to her because she's now, I don't feel she's in a good position and she's coming with me 
uh, on programs I'm doing and it doesn't feel right. So I went up there and found out where she was living and knocked on the door. And we had a son at that time who was a year old. So this is, yeah, probably 74, seven year, maybe he was a year and a half. And she wouldn't even let me in the house and she wouldn't even talk to me. You know, and wouldn't let me, you know, have anything to do with the son. So I had been a devotee at that point, so maybe three three or four years. I was 24 years old. <clears throat> I was devastated. That was like so heavy. Just like, it was totally unexpected. So, I think you you could, I think you could all agree that it would be almost impossible for a devotee, a young devotee like that, to just have his wife walk out with their one-year-old son uh, out of nowhere. It was almost like death. I mean, unless you wanted to take sannyas and hated her, you know, you'd be dancing in ecstasy, but that wasn't the position. Oh, well, maybe I should have danced in ecstasy. Or Later on, I appreciated it. Excuse me. Later on, I appreciated it. But at that moment, I didn't. I was happy. Later on, she wanted to come back and I didn't really want to go through it again. So, but at that point I was devastated. And and so these things are going to happen. We will be devastated by something in life. And so this is the key. We think, when this devastation comes, what would my spiritual master expect of me right now? What has my spiritual master been teaching me all my life how would his teachings edify, educate me in this particular situation? So it doesn't mean I won't lament. It doesn't mean I won't be distraught. But it means my spiritual master would want me to get through this. He would not want me to give up my service to him, my service to Prabhupada, my service to ISKCON, uh, and any other duties I have. And so that's the, that's the glory and strength of the pure devotee. And that is exactly what Bhakti Chorasami would want and expect, especially of his disciples, but of all of us. So that was just an addition to yesterday's class. Um, I would suggest... You watch it, I think, especially for the disciples of Bhakti Chosomi, it will be helpful. But I think it will be helpful for all of you because all of you will one day have to go through what the disciples of Bhakti and his people close to him are going through now. And you don't, in a sense, you could never actually be prepared for it. It's like... You go to war and you play war games before you go. You enact situations that would replicate, duplicate what you're going to face in war, but you can't really perfectly do that because it's a dynamic, war is dynamic and they will, the the, the soldiers you're, you're fighting, you don't know what they're going to do. It's not, they're necessarily going to do what, was practiced in uh, 
the war games, the war practice. And so, you know, we're preparing ourselves, but, you know, we're in a sense, you're, you're never ready. You could only try to prepare, you could only try to understand. But on the emotional level, it's, it's very difficult. But I think the more we understand, and the more, we're, the more we understand how to deal with this, the more we're prepared, at least we'll get through it more easily. And if we're fortunate and we do it right, we'll, we'll start to feel even closer to our spiritual master. Yesterday I was saying something that I thought was quite significant. I said, I, I've never, I don't think I, I ever felt, have ever felt closer to Maharaj than I have in the last week. And we worked together, I don't know, it must have been a year and a half or so. He being the GBC, I being the temple president. So we got to spend some, a fair amount of time together when he would visit our temple. And he was, as I was saying, he, I was in the room next to him, and we'd go back and forth, talk, and we'd do different things with the devotees. But I felt closer with him last week because of all the remembrances and also uh, remembering what his life stood for. So I think that's an important, I think it's an, something important to remember in that when, when the Acharya leaves, when your guru leaves, there obviously is an aspect that has left, but there may be an aspect you never accessed before, or an act, aspect that you can ask, access more deeply than you've ever accessed before. And in that way, his guidance and his presence could, or should, or will eventually become stronger, or more real, or closer in your life, even than when he was present. And, and like you know, many of you, you, you don't get to see your guru that much. Many of you have gurus with lots of disciples, so you probably don't have much personal exchange. Some of you have told me you have no personal exchange. And so in that situation, when there's no physical exchange, you have to access it through hearing and, and through examples and inspiration that you get. And that would continue exactly as it would, would continue after. And uh, that continues now, it can, I was trying to say, it continues after in the same way. And, and so it's really not any different. So, and if we, if we never learn to access that association through connecting through instructions and service, that's when we'll be in trouble when they leave. I was mentioning also, this is kind of a summary for those of you who didn't hear it, but I think some of these points are important and probably worth saying again. Hare Krishna. <coughs> when we, we all recognize the value of personal association and, and everything I'm saying is not meant to minimize that value. It's definitely valuable and we should get it. But what we have seen is that sometimes devotees become 
unhealthily dependent on the personal association. You have a thing in relationships and psychology called codependency, which means an unhealthy codependency. We're all codependent. We all need one another. But it, even Prabhupada talks about unhealthy codependency. And he says, I think in the first canto, it's not good to depend, to depend too much on another's mercy because it makes you weak. It's like you don't do anything. So when you're in the association of advanced devotees, it's almost like you don't have to do anything. It's like they do everything. They're the sun. You don't have to produce your own sun. You just have to be near them, and then you get their sun. So you're, you're lit up by them, and you're not lighting up yourself. And the problem that can come as a consequence of that is that when you're not in that association, you never learn to light up yourself because it was always, they were always the ones lighting up. And then when you're not in their association or they leave this world, you realize that I don't know how to exist without them. And then you fall apart. So when you get the association, you're meant to imbibe the instructions and examples so that you can take it with you. And and whatever benefit you get in that personal association, you understand that that's just a boost to your Krishna consciousness, but it's not meant to be the foundation of it. And if it becomes the foundation, when that personality leaves, two things will happen. You'll fall apart, or you'll desperately look for another person to grab onto, to get that sunlight that you yourself could generate by following their instructions. But if you don't do that, then you become like spiritually unhealthy. There can be a spiritual codependency, which is unhealthy, and a spiritual codependency, which is healthy. I'm dependent on my guru. There's no question, 100%. But what am I dependent on? I'm dependent on his instructions. <clears throat> I'm not dependent on his personal presence to be inspired. I'm dependent on his instructions. And that is the healthy dependency. But if I'm dependent too much on the personal association, or I'm dependent too much on getting an instruction every three days, you know, every like one instruction lasts three days, and then I fall apart, then I get another instruction, three days fall apart. Then I write them every day, or every three days I write them a letter to put my head together. That's unhealthy codependency. That means That means the instructions are not going deep and it's not stabilizing you. So we're talking here about stability in the absence of our spiritual master or the great Vaishnavas. And so that's a symptom that we are processing Krishna consciousness correctly, that we're stable and steady. We're learning, we're applying, we're imbibing, we're learning, imbibing, applying. And as we said many times, and Prabhupada has said, and, and many devotees have said, the instructions of the spiritual master are his mercy. So Gurudev, give me your mercy. Or how will I how will I get the mercy? My guru's gone, how will I get the mercy? The mercy is just dripping in the teachings of the spiritual masters. So it's dripping off the pages of Prabhupada's books. <laughs> How will I get the mercy of Prabhupada? Come in here, that's a good one. Prabhupada's mercy is dripping off the pages of his books. Can you make a note of that and send that to me? We could do a daily video on that. But that's, that's an important understanding. It, it's also important 
that we don't minimize the personal association. It's extremely valuable, but it has to be balanced. That's my point. Yes, take the personal association. There's no question the sun will shine on you. But if, if you don't take that association to enrich yourself, to advance, to become more transcendental, more stable, and so on, then it becomes an unhealthy codependency. And so all the symptoms of unhealthy codependency that you would find in the material world, you can find between guru and disciple. I mean, I see, I see sometimes devotees have difficulties in their relationship with their guru. They feel the guru doesn't understand them or the guru feels the disciple doesn't understand them. Um, or they become upset because the guru said something and they expected something else. And when you look at that, it's, it's the same thing that goes on between a husband and wife or friends, miscommunication, misunderstanding. And when I look at that and I think, this is not good. I mean, sometimes it's real and sometimes it happens, but it's a little dysfunctional when a disciple expects things from a guru that may maybe they shouldn't expect, that they would maybe expect from a husband or a wife or a friend, and that can disturb the relationship. So that kind of, you know, there's a, there's a certain kind of relationship that can turn sour when expectations are too high or certain needs are too high. So we have to be careful about that. And so if we have a healthy relationship, which is based on the, the instruction, the mercy dripping off the pages of, of Prabhupada's books or the mercy dripping off the lips of your spiritual master or your spiritual masters, and that becomes a stabilizing force, then you will find when that person is no longer there, you won't feel so much like they're no longer there because your main relationship was with their instructions and, and that's not hampered by, by the lack of their presence at all because the instructions are there, especially these days. Um, if, you know, probably, probably the average guru in ISKCON has... 500, 1,000, 2,000 classes posted online. So you can't even listen to them all. So there's no, there's no, and they're writing books. There's no lack of instruction when they speak of all the Prabhupada's books. So that's a little recap of some of the things we spoke about and uh, reflection and then addi additional thoughts that we didn't discuss yesterday that I think were important. And uh, it, for me, it was just... Uh, it was just, it was so special for me to realize how close I had become to Maharaj in the last week and how much I was being inspired, I have been inspired by him in certain areas of my service because I'm doing the things or I'm trying to do the things that he wanted done. And so in doing that also, I felt very close. So it was a... It was such an interesting experience, and I was thinking, this person has left, and it's like he left, his body left, and it's like his being went inside of me. I mean, that's how I felt, and I'm sure many of you felt that way. And I thought, well, that's actually fantastic. That's, it, it was almost like I was thinking, and this seems strange, I was always thinking, well, his leaving had such a good effect on me that 
not that I was thinking, oh, I'm glad he left, but I was just thinking, it's, it's it, his, I could never have this until he left. I wouldn't, I wouldn't have taken notice of so much of what he was and who he was. I mean, I knew who he was and what he was, but I wouldn't, it wouldn't have gone this deep until he left. And unfortunately, that's often the case. You know, we don't appreciate the depth of what we've been given by someone until they're not with us. And then we feel the absence and then we realize, oh, in their absence, I'm not getting what I got in their presence. And now I realize how much their presence meant to me, how important it was. Or I realize what, who, more deeply who this person is and what they stand for. And then we mentioned something else, which I think um, is also important and interesting. When a great Acharya leaves, the followers of that Acharya, to honor him, should honor his teachings by following them, sharing them, should honor his mission by maintaining whatever he has created, even if it's not physical, but if he's created a concept, a project that devotees are doing everywhere, what can you do to help maintain that project that he shared? You know, like in the case of Jai Bhattakamarsh, they, um, the um, Bhaktavriksha, that's, you know, service, especially by his disciples, will be to maintain Bhaktavriksha to build Mayapur, you know, the things, the projects that they were working on, that's how you serve your guru. And then you spread his fame, his glories. You, you, you teach people about what he stood for, who he was, and so they can be helped. And so, in, and after I heard that, and then I thought, well, if you do that, then you would be very close to that person. And if you do that, you would not feel their separation because you would be so aligned with their teachings and their mission and who they are, and you would be representing that so, um, be representing it so thickly, so frequently, that you would be connected. And so that's, I think that's one of the most important things that came out of the class, and I don't know if everyone picked up on it, but when your spiritual master leaves, if you connect with him in those three ways, becoming more like, what what did he teach? Let me understand this more clearly. Let me share that. What were his projects? What did he even uh, the unborn projects? Things he wanted. I wanted. I want to do this. He wanted it, and letting other people know uh, who he was and what his mission was, and getting him in their hearts also. I think I think that is real the real remedy for dealing with separation because that way you may experience what I'm experiencing you may experience it actually I feel closer now than ever I've never represented my guru Maharaj this closely and the same thing with Prabhupada we feel uh, many of you feel like well I never met Prabhupada how do you get close to someone you never even met but you, you probably have experience of reading a book by a great teacher who's no longer alive and you really 
were moved by it or it was life-changing and you feel some connection with that person and say thank you for for writing this book it was life-changing or this book was the most important thing i read in my life you, you'll feel a connection so even though you never met the person somehow you feel very close and you find in Gaudiya Vaishnava history you find that devotees accepted six gurus who lived a hundred years before them. They never met them, but they accepted them as their Siksha Guru because their teachings impacted them to such a degree that they felt connected. This is my Guru. This is the person who is purifying me, transforming me, guiding me, helping me, destroying my Anarthas. And I never even met them. Uh, sometimes you read, you read the Acharya's commentary, and you might think, or previous Acharya, even Bhakti Siddhanta, Bhakti Vinod, or others, the Goswamis, or Vishwanath Chakravarti. You know, these are names. You don't even you don't even know what they look like. There's no photographs. Oh, what is Bhagavad? You know, there's paintings, but you know, and. There's paintings, but then you look at like a lot of paintings of the acharyas, and after a while, they all look the same. <laughs> so you don't really know. But you read something, and sometimes you'll say, "Wow, that was deep. That was insightful. That went like the core. That like hit me at the core." And you feel this connection. That spiritual life, you're connected through instructions. That's where the connection is between guru and disciple. So, you, your connection with Prabhupada, if you, if you feel you're not connected to Prabhupada, or you don't feel you're enough connected to Prabhupada, just get more connected with his words, not just in his books, but in his lectures, conversations, morning walks. Get more connected. And then you won't say that. And I would say... If you ever say, you know, I don't really feel like I have a relationship with Prabhupada, I don't feel connected, take that as an impetus to do what you need to do to become more connected, to become more connected with his instructions. Those instructions are not just for his disciples, those instructions are for you, for every one of us. And when you become connected to his mission, that's why working at ISKCON is so important, because it's his mission, and when you're working to help Iskon through all his challenges and help make it better, it's like you're serving Prabhupada's body because Prabhupada said, Iskon's my body. And, and of course, very few devotees had the uh, acceptance at the end of Prabhupada's life. Nobody really, only a few devotees ever touched his body. At the end, he was letting everybody touch his body, massage him, serve him. So, but even still, that everybody, what was it, like 30 people? So. So this is this is direct service to to Prabhupada's body because if Prabhupada's saying Iskan is my body, and you're helping Iskan, it's like you're 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 giving Prabhupada a massage, so to speak. So, and it it's so important that every member of Iskan becomes connected to Prabhupada, because as we said on Monday, if that doesn't happen, it's possible that in the future. Prabhupada will be like this figure that, that's kind of 
in the fog in you know there's this form you can't really make out like what does he do oh oh he's the one who founded this like three thousand years ago well what's his position now well um you, you mean you can imagine the next three thousand years if every guru writes one book how many books will there be a lot more books than Prabhupada's which is it's already true right isn't it if you go on the ISKCON market I think that, there's probably more books or equal amounts of books as Prabhupada's. So in the marketplace, what's Prabhupada's position going to be? Uh, some devotee was saying, he's like, a lot of times you'll, you'll advertise programs, there's no picture of Prabhupada, there's no founder Acharya, signs, you know, it's like little signs that Prabhupada's being kind of out of the way. Uh, the GBC had to pass a resolution at the top of every website of every guru. There has to be a picture of Prabhupada. It was just like, it was like they were seeing that, you know, this fog, this mist was starting to come in. And then the disciples were just like, I don't, they would say things, I don't really know Prabhupada, I never met him, um, but I know you, my Guru Maharaj. And, and um, that's not what we want to, want to create. We don't want to create a fog that you don't know Prabhupada. So this is the way. And the same process will be applied to every Vaishnava. You will know them through their service, through their instructions. And and that's the beauty of Krishna consciousness, that when someone departs, we can remain connected through their instructions and service. So even though they've gone, in another sense, they're more accessible than ever, which is the beauty of Krishna consciousness. So I'm going to go, that was, uh, again, this was this... Every class, Monday's class was planned. Every other class I gave this week, well, Thursday's class was planned because we decided to talk about separation. Every other class was not planned. And I was actually planning today to, to take up where we left off in our discussions last week. And I had read some amazing things that I think would just like shake you up. I don't know if we're going to have time. What I'll do now is I'll, I'll read your comments and I'll see where this takes us. It's just that I, I thought that yesterday's classes were were valuable, and I'm the kind of, I'm the kind of person people have different natures. I'm the kind of person that I get clarity by talking. I get clarity by writing. I think I get more clarity by talking, and 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 many of us are like that, and we like to talk because we work things out as we speak, and so. A lot of the classes this week were like that. I was thinking about things and I was clarifying them in real time by talking about them and it became more clear. And a lot of things come out of classes that I that were only in seed form that I hadn't really articulated before. And so by talking, they come out and that's kind of what's been happening this week. I just start talking about one idea and then it starts opening me up to understanding things more deeply. And it might, might sound like I've this is all well thought out in my head. The seeds are well thought out, but the details often in the classes come out while I'm speaking. And so that's basically what's been happening um, this week um, because I've been impacted in a very positive way b because I've been just meditating on Maharaj's like, whole life and mission. And... and and one other thing that's that's it, it's really helped me. 
when you you know as it as we all know it's hard to be humble because we all think we have there's two reasons it's hard to be humble because we know the qualities we have you know sometimes you do something and you just know you do it better than most people whatever it is could be speaking could be writing could be painting could be managing making money playing an instrument you know krishna has endowed us all with some quality and there's something we all have or maybe more than one quality that shines a little bit above the crowd you know you can figure out equations in your head or you just understand physics it's really easy or you went to medical school and you were number 1 it was like really easy and other students had a hard time so so sometimes it's difficult to become humble because we're we're due to our karma we have some something we're really good at or some special intelligence to understand certain things and maybe the the prime reason and the most funny reason why it's hard to become humble is because we don't really want to <laughs> because we think being arrogant will you know will make us feel better and happy and and so this last week i was thinking that when you hear bhakti chiroswami or 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 you're around him it's so easy to become humble because when you're next to him you realize how impure you are it is not it, it never his intention for you to realize that but he had a certain level of purity that i think just made all of us realize oh he's really pure that means i'm not as pure as him that means i've got a long way to go and it naturally you just feel humbled humbled by it and and so i was you know thinking about him this week and and listening to what devotees were saying about him and going to some of his lectures and and thinking yes he's very pure it makes me feel very impure but that's good because we all need to advance in the humility department and um being around such a devotee who's so pure and not pretentious and never is tooting his own horn but always very humble himself you look at that and say okay i'm proud but i don't have like so many good reasons to be proud he's got a lot of good reasons to be proud a lot, lot more than i have and he's not and so that that is the value of of associating with very advanced devotees because you, when you when you put them next to yourself you see the difference uh a few months ago i gave this example and i never forgot this i thought this was so strange when when i was young i i started playing guitar i think when i was 13 all my friends were playing guitar and they were teaching me how to play guitar so and i think my sister had a guitar in the house so i was just fooling around and my friends would show me so i picked it up fairly quickly. And then pretty soon I became obsessed, probably when I was 15 or so, you know, obsessed with rock and roll and got an electric guitar and this and that and then started upgrading. And so there was a guitar shop, uh, a famous guitar shop. It was called McCabe's or something in Santa Monica, which is a suburb of Los Angeles. 
Now that was like I would go there all the time because I was working and saving my money and those days there was no credit to buy a guitar. It was like a really big thing for me. So I picked a guitar, but it wasn't the most expensive or best guitar. And what the salesman did, he, he, they have these rooms. You go in to test the guitar. Out. And the rooms are acoustically treated, so there's a lot of reverb, so the guitars sound really good. And then he, he brings in a much better guitar. He says, well, you know, play the guitar you want and play this better guitar, so I just want you to notice the difference. Because if you just play the guitar that you want by itself, it's going to sound good. Um, I have I have several microphones that I use for different purposes. And if I record something through the microphone, you'll say, oh, that sounds good, until I record something through the really good microphone. And then you'll say, oh, okay, now I understand what a good microphone sounds like. That other one, it's okay, but it definitely doesn't sound like this. So as soon as you make comparisons, you understand that what you thought was good isn't good. And... And so it was just so funny that I remember this. It was like 16, 16 years old. I remember this. That's 54 years. I can remember. I can tell you what the room looked like. Isn't that funny? 54 years ago, at the age of 16, I bought a guitar. I know the guitar. I can tell you what guitar I bought. And I can tell you what the guy looked like, the store, how it was laid out, and the room. And he brings in, I think he brings in, like, the best guitar in that time kind everybody was buying that was kind of equivalent to the one I was getting but mine was not as good and then I understood yeah mine's not so great that other yeah I couldn't afford the other one and so it was just like whatever uh, you know don't bother me with this I can't afford it but it, it's the same thing you think you're doing great I know a lot I know shlokas I'm pretty humble I'm doing good service until you get the association of someone who's in another league and then you realize, oh, I'm not as great as I thought I was. And I, I really feel it wasn't, it wasn't Maharaja's you know, plan to humble everyone, but I really feel that he had that humbling influence on a lot of us just because we would look at him and we would see what was missing in us. When we, he's like, oh, I don't know that verse. I don't understand that Siddhanta. I don't know that etiquette. Oh, he tells me something about eating. Oh, I didn't know that. He does something. Why do you do that, Maharaj? Oh, because Prabhupada said that. It's like all these things. Like, okay. And then and then you're in this situation where uh, ordinary persons would take advantage of it to promote themselves. And Maharaj is like, he backs off. He's like, and you see all these things. And then you say, oh, I wouldn't have done that. I would have done the opposite. And then it makes you humble because you realize this person is much greater than you, which makes you not as great as you thought you were, which is always good, right? Isn't it? If you can realize you're not as great as you thought you were, that could be very helpful if that feeling of greatness is going to your head. So I'm going to go back. That was an unexpected 55 minutes. Ah, this is lime water with the limes in the water to add a special bitterness that makes me 
look like I'm suffering when I'm drinking it. Don't worry, you don't have to pity me, I can tolerate it. It's a little bit. That was uh, overacting. It's just a little bitter, but healthy nonetheless. Okay, so let's go back and see what you have to say. And I don't know, I'm, I'm happy to speak about this topic because it's so important. Actually, hold on a second. I'm going to get you all dizzy and spin you around um, because my phone's not on properly. And whenever I touch it, it goes like this, whenever I'm going to look. So I'm going to take out the mic. And I might have to spin you and make you dizzy, but just stay with me. Oh, that, that was relatively easy. Okay, I hope nobody's dizzy now. Go back. I can look at your questions without moving the camera so much. Um, so, okay. Just have to shoot down to find the first comment or question. Christe, I'm sorry to hear this happened to you. If that's Correct to ask, how does a devotee act in a situation like that? How does one work with these dark emotions? The only thing that comes to my mind is complete surrender to Krishna. Well, I mean, you understand. One thing, you know, as devotees, you understand. I mean, look what Arjuna went through. He was going through the same thing. So you have... You understand there's a way out of there through taking shelter of the holy name and devotee association. You, and, and so basically what you should do, and we often don't, is in those difficult times, you have to get more into your chanting, more into your reading, even if it's not more reading, but more deeply absorbing the reading, more deeply absorbing association. You just need all these things more. And... and one thing happened. It was so interesting. Wow, let me share this. This was like this was like crazy. So this happened in 1974. And in 1975, uh, I was in charge of a little preaching center and a sannyasi came. And I guess I was, he said, how are you? And I said, I said, well, you know, my wife, have le my wife left me with, with our son and she won't let me she doesn't talk to me she doesn't let me see my son and so forth and you know I was okay but not he could say I wasn't fully okay and he said a few things to me and honestly I think it was only two sentences and I was completely fine after that it, it it's like everything normalized I got over it I accepted it I detached from it in about two sentences. Whoa, and you're going to say what he said. It wasn't politically correct. I can't say it. And now you're all going crazy. Tell me, what did he say? What did he say? Um, I think what he said could only have worked in 1975 for a 25-year-old man. If you hear it now, you, may, you might want to find that devotee and strangle him. Seriously. 
It wasn't politically correct what he said, but what he said was true. And it was something about it was something about the pain this woman was causing me because of her lack of Krishna consciousness and my foolishness in being attached to that situation. And it resonated with me and I boom. I was cured after two sentences, I swear. And I never looked back and I was fine. I just like, okay, this is over, no problem. I was totally fine. I was like, okay, brahmachari, you know, happy brahmachari. But then she wanted to come back like a year later and I was just like, no way, you know, I don't want to go through this again. So that's one example, you know, like the, the <laughs> you crave the association of devotees and you put yourself in Arjuna's position and listen to Krishna's instructions. That, you know, that was, it was pretty devastating for a young man. You know, because... You know, when you have a family, there's stability there. And then if one person says, I'm leaving, it uproots your stability. So divorce is really uprooting. It's very, very uprooting. Your whole life is, you know, was going this way. And now it's like... And after he spoke to me, I was just fine. I was just stable. Um, We ended up in jail also because... I had to pay child support and the temple spaced out on it and they weren't paying it. So that was also another interesting... I think I've been in jail five times since I was a devotee. and Not before and ever. I didn't know what a jail looked like. What do you do in those situations? The best instruction I could give you is you do more Krishna consciousness. That's all you can do. And unfortunately, many devotees in that situation, and I, I, I feel so concerned that, that devotees end up this way. But many devotees in those difficult situations, they do less Krishna consciousness. They run away from Krishna consciousness. They lose faith. Krishna, why did you allow this to happen to me? You know, I, I didn't do anything wrong. Why did... Why are you taking away my wife and child? You know, like I'm serving you. I go on Sankirtan every day. That kind of response, it's it's common and it's destructive. Um, Swami was saying that he's seen this a lot. The devotees say we were praying for our Guru Maharaj, and he still left. And, and it's like I'm not going to pray anymore because Krishna doesn't listen, or you know, they lose faith. That's dangerous. It happened to my father. He lost faith when my mother died. She died a, a difficult death from cancer. And he, he said, well, if there was a God, he never would have lo- allowed anyone to suffer that much. And, and so my best advice to you is anytime there's difficulty, anytime you're distraught, even if you're crazy, gone crazy emotionally, even if you've lost everything, your husband ran away with your best friend. He stole all the money from the bank. He sold the house. You're on the street. Your mother doesn't even like you anymore. Whatever. Don't take that route of saying, Krishna, I reject you. But take the route of, Krishna, I need you more now than ever. And chant more. Go more deeply into your chanting. Go more deeply into Krishna consciousness. That's the only thing that's going to get you through this. But if this causes you to lose your faith, 
That's like the worst thing can happen. It should cause you to depend on Krishna more. And then you will see Krishna will come and help you. He'll satisfy your mind and heart. He'll create better situations for you. You'll realize that this was actually a blessing in disguise and so forth. And your faith will increase. It's an opportunity to increase your faith, faith, but it can go the opposite way and you lose your faith. Krishna, why did you do that? He has his own he has his own reasons. You know, one time I was going to India and I had been preaching a living having we have a house in America and then we rent a place in India. So living in India is very inexpensive and living in America is very expensive. But while or in India we still have expenses in America. Which is a little challenging to cover both, especially for me who just is full time serving, not just preaching, but other services also. And no time to to make money, so very dependent on devotees' generosity, dependent on the sales of my books and like that. That that's where the income comes from. And every year we were going to Mayapur. And so this year, circumstantially, I don't know what it was, when I was going to Mayapur, I think I only had enough money in America to pay bills for about three weeks. And I was going, and my family was in Mayapur. So I'm going to Mayapur and I don't have any money. And, and I'm thinking, like three weeks after I get there, I'll have to leave and start preaching because when I travel and preach, devotees are generous, they donate. And, and that helps maintain both my preaching and my family and myself. So I was actually flying to do a program in, I, think it was, I don't think it was Oman, it was another, maybe Muscat, somewhere. He invited me. And I came, you know, I was a bit in anxiety, you know, and I just, you know, I think they said something like, you know, we'll do, do Japa programs and we'll all, you know, we'll give you some donations. Because I don't, I stopped charging, generally I didn't charge for anything I did, even if it was like 12-hour programs. You know, normally we used to charge something just because there was so much work. And I said, you know, the bodies will just give donations. I said, okay, whatever. I adopted that policy of the Brahmin, right? And I stayed there like three days. We did three Japa workshops, I think. Or two, like, because we had to do separate groups of devotees. We couldn't gather large. It was really difficult. It was 12 hours a day, and I was really tired. <laughs> really, really tired, and I, there was no time to rest during the day. And also, I had come with a computer that was broken. The the it was falling apart, and they all saw that. <laughs> it, the The screen was disconnected from the body. It was like a cheaper computer. And so, when I left, they had presented me a new computer and some donations. And the donations turned out to be $8,500, which was definitely relieved my anxiety of, and I could stay in Mayapur, you know, that would support us for a while. And, and then, and I had that experience so many times, so many times, like, how am I going to pay the bills? Or even, even the bills to pay, like, for my website, or, or, you know, just the preaching stuff we have to do. It also, it's not just you know, paying for food and rent. 
It's also other things, you know, that are, you know, I just had to spend $400 to, there's so many things wrong with my computer. You know, so just those things also, like how, how am I going to do my service? How am I going to maintain my family? And then Krishna would supply that. And he did that many times. This happened another time. Same thing, going to India, I don't know, I have any money. I've just been preaching, that's all I do. And I get some PayPal and, and someone gave me $10,000. And I said, why? He said, my parents died. I inherited, I like what you're doing. I didn't even know who he was. I never met him. It's like, ah! So <laughs> I would say, Krishna, I have faith in you, but could you do it a little earlier because I don't want to get ulcers. It was like, it was like, at the ninth, what do they say? What's the saying? The ninth hour? It's like right, right before. It's like if it if it happened three days later, I you know the bank would be like taking away my house or something. So, <laughs> and this happened. So I have so many stories. We we had changed credit cards and that affected the payment on our mortgage. And so for months while I was in India, the mortgage wasn't paid. And when you don't pay your mortgage, they can take your house away. And all of a sudden I come back and they're like, you owe like $4,500 on your mortgage. I'm like, really? Why weren't you taking the money out? And I, I couldn't understand why they weren't taking it out. And India trying to contact them, it was a mess. And I was, I should have been more on top of it. And this devotee, we, we had to like borrow money. I didn't have that money. And the devotee, he, he says, he said, no problem, you know, I'll loan you the money. And then he loans me the money. He goes, no, you don't have to pay me back. So this is my life. Like, okay, Krishna. And, and oftentimes, these things happen because I'm preaching. It's not like I have a job and I know, okay, you know, every month you get this amount of money. It's like, I'm just preaching and People are generous. They, you know, we're not charging you, you know, ten dollars a class. If we were, I'd be doing pretty good, right? Yeah, ten dollars a class, I would would be doing good. Wouldn't have to worry. No ulcers. So, but we're we're Brahmins. We we teach. We give you knowledge. You take it from us, and if you reciprocate, you do. If you don't, you don't. We don't, it doesn't affect us. We we preach. So so there's this. This is like message Krishna is saying, look at, I take care of you. Don't worry, you know. Sometimes I'm late with my payments to you. But don't worry. You just don't worry. You just, you just preach. Take care. So that that faith, you know, like Krishna. And I would I would think, yeah, but but now it's getting difficult again. And I'd hear this little voice and Krishna saying, I've always taken care of you, so stop worrying. And I And I think that's the issue when... We can put our faith on that level and stop doubting Krishna. Then that's Krishna consciousness. That's what it is. And Krishna, that's what he wants and that's what he reciprocates with. And if during, you know, Krishna, I'm preaching for you. That's all I do. I work for you like 16 hours a day and like I have no money now. That's not fair. And I quit. I'm not gonna do this anymore, you know. What do you what do you want me to go out and get a job? You know, this is crazy, you know. No, we can't think like that. We think Krishna does it the way he does it, the way he wants, and I should have faith. And Krishna's saying, No, no, I've I've got you covered. I'm I'm taking care of you, don't worry. 
I might be late with the payments, but you'll get them, don't worry. Then then I'll say, then I'll say, but why not more? Because I need this and that. Why aren't you giving him? That's another, that's another argument I have with him because <laughs> I have services to do and I need to pay people to be able to do them and I don't have the money. I'm like, Krishna, why? <laughs> when are you going to give that? And I hear this little voice, Krishna's like, oh, you're not qualified to handle that money <laughs> or something. Like, like whatever. <laughs> whatever, you'll give it if I need it when I want, uh, if I'm qualified. That's how we have to take it. Yeah. I, I so much, I've always so much wanted someone who could just run everything I do because in the last year or two, it's gotten kind of a little bit difficult for me to, to run everything because there's so many devotees doing so many things. You really need someone to run it. Like, Krishna, where's that person? And it's like, you know, we have this devotee here and there, and, but nobody running everything. And like, Krishna, where's that person? And I'm always praying. So just, you know, he'll send when he sends. Or you might say, oh, you're just spaced out. You don't need somebody to do that. Why waste a person's time? You know, you just get it together. You know, there's messages we have to hear. Or you have enough money, don't, you know, use this wisely. I'll give you more. Or, you know, develop better concepts for projects. Manage them better, then I'll help. So, you know, we can think. Like Krishna's looking at us and it's not like he's holding back or wants us to suffer, but he's just doing what's best. And I think that's that's the way to take it. And that's otherwise any situation which is difficult, we could lose our faith. Right? I could have lost my faith, say, Krishna, why I'm preaching and you you know, it's like recently, you all know what happened recently. We had this crazy court case in India and I didn't know if I was gonna get out of India. I had to spend time with the police, you know, traveling, you know, halfway across India, hanging out with the police, and which was okay. They took prasadam. <laughs> I preached to them. <laughs> but it ended up costing, I think it ended up costing like $15,000 to do this case. And it's like, it's like, why? You know, like, and, and but... Most of that money came from all of you. You all supported me. And so Krishna is saying, look at $15,000. You didn't have $15,000. But I gave it to you, or almost all of it came. So what are you worried about? Even some crazy thing happens in a crazy court case, and you're not even supposed to get off this case, which meant I couldn't leave India for like eight years, which, of course, not such a bad thing. But my family wouldn't be happy because I'm in India and they're not. So, you know, I think Krishna gives us signs and, you know, we have to take them, you know, like, like, why are you, wor why are you worried? I took care of that. But we were saying, we were saying yesterday, Bhakti Chuswami, he was so well taken care of. Why do you think Krishna didn't take care of him at the last moment? And many devotees said, he probably or maybe they knew this for a fact, wanted to be alone when he left this world. He, d he didn't want to be surrounded by a lot of devotees who were, oh, Maharaj, don't go, don't go. You know, he wanted to just, you know. That was a long answer. Hare Krishna. But anyway, we have time. And an important point also, thank you for asking that. That was an important, very important point. Pain is a natural experience as human beings and mammals, but perhaps 
an unwise way to suffer regret or lament is when people um, torture, blame, and punish themselves and stop doing the activities, um, punish themselves and stop doing the activities they have to do, like taking care of their service, their work, families, and themselves. Yeah. We also have a wonderful and innate characteristic, which is resilience to overcome difficulties. Yeah, so that's a good point that that um, if we don't take advantage of all the knowledge we have, then we end up torturing ourselves and blaming, or what torture, blame, but whatever it is, it ends up it ends up being counterproductive. You know, I was thinking I was thinking this morning. My godbrother sent me a quote by Prabhupada. I think I may have mentioned this to you. And Prabhupada, I forget what he said. He said, but Maya will tell you, and blank, blank, blank. You know, it's something like, it's too hard, or you can't do it. Or Maya will tell you something. And, and I was thinking this morning that we don't normally use that terminology. We normally use the terminology, my mind is telling me. Isn't it? Oh, my mind is telling me you're so bad, or you should leave Krishna because Krishna didn't take care of you when you were sick or you know you, my mind is telling me or i feel or i'm thinking i realized this just seems like such a simple realization i don't know why i think it's a big thing but i realized we shouldn't use we shouldn't say my mind we should say maya is telling me because when we say maya is telling me we are articulating the reality. And when we say my mind is telling me, it's almost like it becomes an excuse. It's, oh, I have a crazy mind and this is what it's saying and so this is what I'm doing. But when we say my mind is telling me I'm bad, my Maya is telling me I'm bad, Maya is torturing me because I'm, I'm, I feel like giving up Krishna consciousness. Mind is, my, Maya is telling me don't be responsible. responsible then you're actually speaking the reality of what's happening. And that is so powerful. I believe, I believe we should replace all my mind is telling me or I'm thinking if the thinking is not Krishna consciousness. Don't say I'm thinking. Say Maya is telling me. Maya is giving me these thoughts. I'm thinking I should leave this gun. No, you're not thinking you should leave this gun. Maya is giving you those thoughts. And if you say that, you're gonna have, it's going to have such a different effect on you. Isn't it? It is. Definitely. Because that's reality. And that is just what Prabhupada was saying. Well, I don't feel like chanting today. Don't say I don't feel like chanting. Say, Maya is telling me not to chant. It's going to have a different effect on you. Oh, you know, I can't really chant good rounds. Maya is telling me I can't chant good rounds. You just put that in. Every excuse you have, just say, Maya is telling me and that will bring you into the reality of what's actually happening. Otherwise, you make an excuse and you think, well, that's a, that's a good excuse. As I've often said, there's no good excuses for not being Krishna conscious. To think you have an excuse that causes you not to be Krishna conscious, and that's a good excuse, that's, that's insanity. There's no good excuse for not being Krishna conscious. So when you say, Maya is making this excuse, 
then it's really clear, this is Maya. But when you rationalize it, you don't think it's Maya, you just think, oh, this makes sense, it's rational. Like, like why do you need a rational excuse? Rational, irrational, it's an excuse, <laughs> and it's all Maya. So I was just reflecting on that this morning. I think that's a beautiful way to put everything in the context. Not my mind is telling me or I'm feeling, if it's definitely not Krishna conscious, then why not just admit, it's Maya is making me feel this way, Maya is telling me this, Maya is giving me this attitude, then it's clear, and now you know what to do. Ah, and what do I say when Maya comes? Run, run the other direction. If I know this is Maya, then I run. So I think that's a really important point. And, and try to practice that, and I think it will help you. And, and um, I think I'll do a daily video on that. I'll just basically say what I just said. Because I think, um, you know, you know, um, I studied a little bit of psychology, kind of not consciously studied it. I just interested in it and read books and heard talks and so on. And I, and I realized how much our psychology is affecting our Krishna consciousness. So if you have the psychology of making excuses, you're going to make excuses why you're not Krishna conscious. If you have this fear of being responsible, if I'm too responsible, it's not fun, you know, you just got to be free, you're going to be unsteady in your service. And, and you go, and a lot of this maya we're in relates to attitudes, beliefs, how we look at the world, our psychology, our nature. It's not just purely maya, you know, modes of nature, but she's working, a lot of times she works with our own psychology. So, oh, this person gets easily discouraged. Great. I'll do something to discourage them. That's their weak point. Or this person, they always berate themselves. Okay, I'll create a situation where they'll just berate themselves. So I think we also need to be aware of that, that Maya can work within your own psychology, and then she becomes kind of the catalyst to stimulate that psychology, and that psychology works against you. And it'll work against you materially, and it'll work against you spiritually. Right? It's, it's the same psychology, and... You know, it's like it's like Prabhupada says, you need enthusiasm, you need patience, you need tolerance, you know. And the reality is to achieve anything you need enthusiasm, patience, and determination. It's not just in Krishna consciousness, right? So there's so many parallels that, you know, negative psychology which harms you materially, it also harms you spiritually. Positive psychology which helps you materially also helps you spiritually. You can't achieve anything in this world if you're not enthusiastic and not determined. If you give up easily, you'll be a loser. Because you know, the world will pound you down. It will at least try. When you try to do anything well, it is difficult. You all know that. You need determination. And if you're not enthusiastic, you won't have determination. And if you're not patient, you'll give up. So apply it to Krishna consciousness, apply it to the material world, it's the same thing. So if we have this psychology which can negatively affect our bhakti, the maya is going to come in and go, okay, you know, I know what's going on with you. You get easily discouraged. Um, and I know what discourages you. Is that I'm going to create a situation and you'll get discouraged. You, know? you don't like it when devotees do this. I'm going to create a situation. You're going to be right in the middle of devotees doing this and you're going to go, I'm finished. I want nothing to do with this. You know? And what is that? 
That's your psychology kicking in. And Maya knew it. She activated it. And then it becomes an impediment for your devotional service. So that's also something to be very, very aware of, of how your own psychology can intermingle, mix with Maya's tricks. And then Maya's telling, you know, you think, oh, I, this is bad, that's bad. No, 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 that's just your nature. You think everything's bad. That's just how you see the world. Better to say Maya's making me think everything is bad, making me see everything bad, because that's how I am. And you all know how you are. You live with yourself. You know how you are. So if you're all, everything is bad and is gone, all the leaders are bad, that's probably because you think every politician's bad and every corporate CEO is bad and every parent is bad and every teacher is bad and every this is bad. It's just how you think. And then you come to ISKCON and you think the same way. Wow, great way to stay in Maya, right? So when we come to Krishna consciousness, we have to catch ourselves and we have to change those things because they'll work against us. And I've seen this a hundred times, a thousand times, a million times, and you've seen it also in yourself. So be careful because Maya is going to, you know, start mixing with all that negativity in you and then it's going to, you know, no, no, it's just, you know, if someone, if someone is really anti this, anti that in ISKCON, I could guarantee you they're anti, they were anti this and that before they were devotees. It's the personality type. They're just anti. One devotee said, I am so anti, it doesn't matter what ISKCON does. They can do, go on the right wing side or the left wing side, whatever side they go on, I will go on the opposite because I'm just anti. He admitted that. He said, I will go against anything. It's my nature. Some people have a nature of reformers. They have to reform everything. <clears throat> so they'll find something to reform, even if there's nothing to reform. That's <laughs> their nature. <laughs> ah! So, you know, we have to understand the nature about ourselves. Um, so, I thought I would add that. I think these are, like, important points. I think. So, Gomati Ganga says, I had no personal exchange with Maharaj, but attended his seminar, listened to his class and sweet bhajan. I feel much closer to Maharaj now than before. I get to know so much about Maharaj. So much about Maharaj that I never knew before. I am regretting why I never talked to him personally before watching his video. Now that brings pain to my heart. Still cannot accept that he is no more physically present. Well, the lesson, and I think we taught this in yesterday's class, the lesson is, one lesson is, or the day before his class, the lesson is, if I feel this way now, as you do, Gomati, if you feel this way, well, let me take advantage of the association I have of other devotees. So I, I will feel, well, He's gone, but I did get a lot of his association and I benefit from it and I'm grateful for it. As is often said, you can't experience the pain of someone, separation, if you didn't have some affection or get something from them or have some association. So we got the benefit of their association, which is why we feel pained. But we can celebrate, we can celebrate that side of it, right? That we got their association. Kamenia says, Prabhupada's mercy is dripping off the pages of his books. 
Wow. Can you send that to me in, in a uh, WhatsApp? That was a good one. You know, if I didn't give this class today, I would have never said that because I wasn't thinking, ever thinking of that particular way of seeing Prabhupada's mercy. Dripping. Maybe it's, maybe it's not dripping. Maybe it's flooding. Prabhupada's mercy is flooding off the pages of his books. Yeah, maybe we have to change it to flooding. Dripping is maybe more poetic. Krishkarshan, he says, when we can say that someone is over-dependent on personal association, how do you know? Once you're the Prabhupada disciple told me that I should try to have as much as I can personal association. Yes, you should. She said, who pay all the money of this world in a second. Yeah. No, it's true. And I, I think I explained, I think I explained what it means. Is that, it's, it's actually, if you become codependent in your association, you actually, your, that association ends up making you weaker. It's like, it's kind of like training wheels. You know, you get so used to training wheels that when you're old enough to ride the bike without them, you can't. So I, I can't ride without training wheels. I, I, I'm dependent on them. The training wheels are to get you to the point that you can ride without them. So if association of your spiritual master helps you, brings you to the next level that you can ride without the training wheels, then it's perfect. But over-dependency would mean you never take off the training wheels and their association is the training wheels and so you can't function well unless you have those training wheels on. That's the point. But their association is so you can get off the training wheels and ride a bigger bike and ride faster. But if you're still on your little, your little, little bike with the training wheels and you're 20 years old, everyone's looking at you and saying, like, what's wrong with you? So, oh, I can only ride with training wheels. That would obviously be a problem. So I think I think that's a, a good example to answer your question. Now his book is available, uh, and the BBT made his book available, and everybody's sending it around. That's great. Indradunmas Swami Maharaj <coughs> often quotes George Eliot when he talks about separation. Quote, only in the agony of parting do we look... <coughs> Excuse me. Only in the agony of departing do we look into the depths of love. So true. And it it may unfortunately also be true that we will never be able to fully appreciate, uh, not appreciate, that's how they say it in South Africa. We will never, in South African English, they accent certain syllables. In American English, we don't accent syllables, do we? I don't think, did I ever accent syllables? Appreciate? No, I don't think we talk that way. I don't know if South Africans say appreciate, but I notice sometimes they extend syllables, and I think I just extended the syllable. It is an unfortunate reality that probably we will never be able to fully appreciate a person until they leave. Many devotees have said, I so much more appreciate Prabhupada now than I did when he was present because they see what he created. It's like we didn't realize what Prabhupada was creating and we didn't realize 
how difficult it was to create that until we became leaders and had to do what Prabhupada did and saw how difficult it is and how many decisions we were confronted with that were difficult for us to make or even we made the wrong decision and how to correct ourselves. And then we reflected, no, Prabhupada was able to do things infinitely more difficult than what we're doing now and what we're having trouble doing. I appreciate him more. So it it's an inevitable reality that in order to fully appreciate the greatness of a person, they may have to leave us. Unfortunately. So, yeah. Ask a Prabhupada disciple, ask them this question. Do you think you love Prabhupada now more than you did when he was present? Of course, if they're humble, they'll say, I don't have any love. And then tell them, disclaimer, don't tell me you don't have any love. Don't pull out the humble card, Maharaj. I need a straight answer. This is a philosophical question. Or, do you feel you appreciate Prabhupada more now than you did when he was present? 100% will say yes. No question. Do you feel you have more, you feel you're closer to Prabhupada now? Do you appreciate it more? Do you feel you're closer? Do you feel you have more love for Prabhupada? Ask that question. And I think they'll all say in their own way, they might squirm around it, but they'll, they'll say, oh, I never had any love. Hell you. Yeah, but if, if you say I have love, I think I have more now. If you say I have appreciation, I think I, you know, in their own humility, they'll probably get to the answer and say, yes, I have more now. That's interesting, isn't it? That it took the departure of Prabhupada to have more love, to have more appreciation, to feel closer. And that confirms what Prabhupada said, this very, very difficult statement that Prabhupada made. Separation is better. Oh, it's like a, it's like a knife when I heard that. It was like a knife. And then I was leaving, when I was leaving Mayapur, I wish you could have seen the faces of the devotees. They're, you know, I'm leaving and, you know, I probably, I probably wasn't, I was leaving, when did I leave? I left, uh, I left in March. I still left like March 7th or something. No, 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 no. Probably March 10th or 11th. I left Mayapur to go to Bangalore and then to go to America. Well, hopefully go to America because the court case had not been solved yet. So there was maybe possibility I would come back, but they assumed I was going to America, and then I wouldn't be back to Mayapur till like October or November. We had knew nothing about the coronavirus at that point, having any effect on anything. So they were thinking, you know, I'll see him in six, seven months. So they were feeling bad. So, and then I said, then I said, separation is better than meeting. And everyone's face just went, it just went like, how could you say that? That is like the most horrible thing. It's like, it's like, no, it's not. You can't say that. That's not true. At least not for me. It was, it was very interesting to watch the faces of the devotees. They, as soon as I said that, it, everybody's face changed. It was like a movie. So it's like, how was their face like? It was like, like, yeah, I was like, how could you say that? Because we don't realize that. And, and maybe through these classes, 
we're starting to realize something of Prabhupada's statement that separation is better. You're actually more Krishna conscious than separation. That's what it means. You say it's better, it means you're more Krishna conscious. Gabriella says, when you suggested that I read Srila Prabhupada's biography and books, I really felt a deep love for his mission and service. That was the first time that I could feel a real connection with Srila Prabhupada and desire to follow his mission. Yeah, so reading his books is super important. You really understand him and understand a pure devotee as he relates to us. If you read about the life of Bhakti Siddhanta, it's a different time. It's amazing. It's just incredible. But the only, I think, difficulty is it's a different time. So his instructions and his examples were in a different context. It wasn't with Westerners. It was with very, very elevated Indians and lots of renunciates and brahmacharis and sannyasis. So the context is different. So you learn so much about Prabhupada applying Krishna consciousness in the modern context, which is exactly what we have to do. And so it's it's valuable for us personally as preachers, as well as it is uh, in general for devotees. If Prabhupada said, Iskand is my body, and you're serving Iskand, then you're giving Prabhupada a massage, so to speak. Well, can you send that to me? That was a good one. I forget all these things I say. It's amazing how many things I say I forget. <sighs> That's a good one. Please send it to me. I'm like, this is weird. They're sending Mahatma things he said. Hmm. Hmm. Soma. We get clarity about things by talking about them. That's a great insight. Well, not everyone, but you will see some people, like sometimes you're having a conversation and they're talking, 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 talking. It doesn't even matter that you're there listening. They need to talk to clarify their thoughts. I mean, if you're there, it's nice. But technically speaking, they could talk to the wall to clarify their... because that's how they clarify. That's just the nature. I don't know if it's true for everyone, probably to some degree, but some people, that's how they do it. Some people think, you know, I was thinking. Some people write, oh, I was writing today, I realized when I was writing. And some people, you know, I was talking to my friend and while I was talking, I realized. And um, so it's just one way of getting clarity is talking. And if you know people like that and they're talking, just don't say anything because actually they don't want you to say anything because you'll interrupt their train of thought. And if you try to say anything, they're going to try to shut you down because they need to talk to clarify. And I'm sure you've seen that. Now you know what to do. Chris Day says, um, Yesterday I woke up and the first thing I felt was such a deep love to Prabhupada I have never felt before. Wow. And still blooms in all the chest with such intensity. Wow. Fantastic. Well, now, I wish every one of you, I wish every one of you feels like Chris Day feels. That's fantastic. I did not have personal association with Bhakti Chodhra Maharaj, and to be honest, I did not know him that much in general. But for the last few days, he became very close to me through your words. Yeah, so that's proof. He's become close. Excuse me. Whoa, look at that. 
he became close to us. That's proof. <laughs> That's demonstration of everything we said. Oh my God, it's past 9.30. We've gone past our limitation. Impractical and tedious as it may well be, personal association between guru and disciple I think is very important to many things. It's true. Simultaneously to divert the mind, personal association and... Direct instructions is always more impractical. That's um, not sure what you mean by that. More impractical. Impactful. Oh, yeah, impactful. Yes. Moreover, it creates a check and balance mechanism in what I think. Not to say what I'm saying is correct, but it works for many. Um, it's all true as long as we're, we understand that that association is not going to be there forever and we're going to have to to get that our spiritual strength in separation through the instruction, then we're okay, because then we're using that personal association to be able to take off the training wheels and ride the bigger bike. It's so interesting that devotees do not want to follow spiritual master's instructions, but just want his presence all the time to show others how great I am. Hare Krishna, the truth has come out. Instead of pleasing spiritual master. That is... Uh, Welcome to the material world, Ankush. And if I were you, I'd get out of here as soon as possible because that's what goes on. That went on with Prabhupada. I mean, the devotees wanted to be take over the movement. The devotees wanted to please Prabhupada so he would say, you're number one, I'll, I'll make you the guru. Human nature, that's why we're here. And it's so unfortunate when it comes into a spiritual movement because it's the last place we want it. Right? Okay. Thank you for that. I agree with you, Mataji. Since I've been hearing Maharaj, I've also felt a deep love for Prabhupada. I always had deeper respect for Prabhupada and was always admired Christian conscious movement in the West. Uh, because of hearing from you, we feel closer to Bhakti Charo Maharaj. We're learning so much. This one week class. <laughs> This was a good week. This might have been. This might. This week may have been one of the highlight weeks of our lives. If we look back at our lives when we're older and think, "Well, what was, what was a highlight week in my life?" Most. It would be really hard to even remember a week. Maybe a day. Maybe one thing. This could be one of those weeks. One of those times we look back and say, "That was an amazing time to be so inspired by this person." I don't think it's true in all cases. Some want to be with their guru because they love him. Yeah, of course. They want to serve him. Yeah, definitely. Both things are there. Depend on Krishna more. Don't depend on Krishna less. Uh, yeah, that is so... Uh, Krishna creates the difficulty... So you'll depend on him more, and he creates the he creates the opportunity, and then you depend on him less, and you lose faith. That that is like the ultimate paradox, isn't it? <clears throat> I want to tell you something about my faith in Prabhupada, and because people ask, like, how do you stay a devotee, and so forth. 
And I think I think back to when I first became a devotee. Maybe you all have this experience. You know, we're looking for spirituality. We're reading books. Then we come across Prabhupada, and we realize, fine, this is like we're amazed. Like somebody knows all this. Somebody seems to know everything. Everything I want to know, they know, and they know everything I didn't know I wanted to know or need to know. And they can talk about everything, and they can talk about the spiritual world and what God looks like and what it's like there. So when we became devotees, we realized this, and we realized nobody else could give us that. And I think it's so important to keep that realization. You know, There's so much stuff going out there, so many ideas. And how do you maintain uh, faith in Prabhupada, even when sometimes Prabhupada says things which are hard to understand? And and it's it's that who else would I put my faith in? Are you saying there's somebody else that can compete with Prabhupada? Someone, of course, you know, other acharyas and like that, but they're not our gurus. There's someone outside of Gaudiya Vaishnavism, someone outside of Prabhupada's entourage that I listen to that could give me anything. So even if Prabhupada says something doubtful, like like there has been this discussion that Prabhupada said some things which didn't seem politically correct about black people. And I was thinking about this and I was thinking, the person who's accusing him is not a self self-realized soul. And so a non-self-realized soul is accusing a self-realized soul of being prejudiced or racist. It's insane. Completely insane. It can't be possible. Because we identify with with the body, there's going to be some racism and prejudice within us just because we think we're the body. But for a self-realized soul, it's impossible. He can't have it. He doesn't, he sees beyond the body. So, you know, these little things we have to understand, and then who else can we put our faith in? And so that's, you know, you know, if Prabhupada ever says something, just just try to understand that you, if you, if it doesn't make sense to you, just try to understand. It's not that what he said, there's anything wrong with it. It's, we're not in that position where we fully understand it now. And... You know, Prabhupada says women are less intelligent. We just say, oh, I already say that. It's not an IQ test. It's not about that. You know, men are from Mars. Women are from Venus. Men are Mars. There's differences. And those differences in, in Vedic Sanskrit terminology come under an umbrella of intelligence. It has nothing to do with IQ tests. And we get all like bent out of shape. How can Prabhupada say that? You know, And he's just saying what is in Men Are From Mars, Women Are From Venus, in that book, or some of those things, but it, in the context of Vedic terminology, it comes out as intelligence. Like you have emotional intelligence, spiritual intelligence, IQ, intel, you know, all these intelligences are coming out, so it's just a different definition, and you don't even know the meaning, and you get all, oh, I would say that, he's, you know, misogynist, crazy people say these things. We can never think this way. We always have to think it's it's a lack. I'm just like, who am I? I'm an uncultured person who who grew up with sex, drugs, and rock and roll, and I'm going to doubt the words of a pure devotee and think he's misogynistic or racist. Or that's insanity. Or he says something, it's unbelievable, and I, I don't believe that. You know, like, what is your vision of reality? Like, you know, <laughs> it's like we have to, you know, be a little humble. 
you share so much of your life with us only to teach us how to live our life in Christian consciousness. This miserable world. We are so grateful. Feel so much. Maybe I shouldn't read all those comments. It's kind of like, I don't know. Thank you for being grateful. I, I, I appreciate that, that you are appreciating what I'm giving. Uh, you're saying that Krishna is talking something, taking away from me. He's going to give me something better, and this is true. I experience it many times in my life. And so the problem is, we experience it, but then the next time it happens, we're like, Krishna, why are you giving this to me? Krishna, when's it going to come? I'm losing faith. That's the problem. Krishna shows us, so we have faith, but then we lose it. So we want to strengthen that faith. Uh, uh, you are engaging in your service. This definitely teaching is my service. Uh, what can we give you? Uh, we're always indebted to you. Um, you could all send... Um, I, I think um, one thing I'd like you to do is share. Whatever, you, whatever I'm saying that you think would help other people, share it with them. Uh, any, any way you can help. Because I'm preaching and I feel like the more people that can hear, the more I feel, well, this is a Prabhupada, we please, you know, we get out to more people, non-devotees, devotees. So that would be very helpful. Any, any specific talents you have? Um, the, the greatest need we have now is people who are expert in promotion who can help us get or do th or or be part of a team that can do things for promoting and managing and then resources you you all give a little donation every month that's tremendously helpful especially now because i can't travel so you know it's a little bit of a concern it was not a concern when i can travel but it was when i travel devotees are very generous and i don't really have financial concerns and we're, we're, we're selling i sell lots of books and USB sticks of my workshops when I travel. So now is a little more of a concern. So everybody uh, would like and can is able, you know, and just in reciprocation for the classes, as Bhaisheshi Prabhu says, when you give, when you get knowledge and you give, it helps you understand the knowledge. So that's the reciprocation of Guru and Disciple. That's our tradition. The Brahmin speaks, the disciples give some donation. Um, so that would help. All of those things. And if you're like a corporate CEO that can run my whole, everything I do, give me a call, we'll sign you up. Uh, Nikhil says, an example of Krishna coming at the ninth hour is the disabling of Draupadi. Yeah. I don't know. I guess I guess he likes to do that. <laughs> you know, of course, like you say, she also had a surrender. Took her to the ninth hour to be completely dependent. Maya's telling me, blank, blank, blank. What is Maya telling you? Haribo Prabhu, how's it going? What's Maya telling you today? What's the latest Maya's telling you? You can ask the devotee. When you, the next devotee you see, just say, Prabhu, is Maya talking to you today? Did she tell you anything? If something is already in the destiny, the prayers can change the destiny. They can, but it's up to Krishna. So you can ask Krishna, you know, if Krishna, if you consider this good, this is what we want. If you want it also, please listen, you know, consider what we want and, you know, you're going to do what you're going to do. Um, yeah, if you, um, what, we've been, what we're trying to do 
what we're trying to do now um, is ask devotees if if they're not already doing it, many are already doing it, if they can give a little monthly donation, it doesn't, it, you know, some people obviously have more, some have less, but it's just, if it's quantity-wise, you know, if you, if people are not giving a lot, but hundreds of people are not giving a lot, it amounts to something. And we, we had thought of doing a, a Patreon page. A Patreon page is where you go on, and, and to go on, you have to pay for content. And we were going to put special content there, but I felt like as a guru, I didn't really want to do that. I didn't really want to charge for what I'm giving. So if you can, um, rather than having me to ask you, can you give something, you know, go on this page. You can't get on unless you pay. Um, you know, in some cases, obviously, if you're going to buy a book, you have to pay for that. Those are normal things. You know, we're making t-shirts, you know, buy a t-shirt like that. But, um, this way, I just go on giving content. You know, my online courses are free. I mean, market value is probably a few hundred dollars. But we make them free. We ask donations. So that's kind of how I'm operating. So if we can build up uh, uh, the devotees, a large body of devotees who appreciate what I'm doing, um, and they can give something, you just go to my website, mahatmadas.com. Easy to remember. And then you go on top, it says donate, and there are different ways. You can do PayPal, you can transfer, you can always do Western Union. We have a bank in India, we have a bank in America. So that would be like super helpful, because um, there's lots of things that I can offer you. And even when I can travel, uh, all, all so much of what I do stops when I travel. And a, a lot of times, not only do devotees want me to travel, but I actually need to, because... That's where all the the support comes financially. Every traveling preacher knows when you don't travel, you don't have any money. <laughs> so we're trying to build up a support system because sometimes it's actually better I don't travel. And as you know now, now is not a good time to travel. So by your support, you'll your support will ensure that I don't have to travel because I don't want to come to this point where like oh I don't have any money. We have this project, or I can't pay this bill, and I have to travel. I'd rather be safe, and I'm sure you'd rather I be safe. So your donations, especially now, would ensure that I'm safe. So thank you for asking, and um, sometimes I joke. When you go to my website, my favorite button is the donate button. But at this time, there is truth to that, <laughs> because I have really uh, no source of income. So we... We had asked all the disciples if you could give something, and uh, we're also asking you, if if you're benefiting from what I'm doing, you give something. Some can afford very little, some you can afford more. Don't be shy. You know, I, it's, just not, it's not like you can give me too much money and I wouldn't know what to do with it. I've got projects that, like, if you gave me $2 million today, it would be spent tomorrow, believe me. <laughs> My mind is very fertile. Um, you gave me $2 today, I would be building the eco-community tomorrow. For sure. Um, Maya versus mind, I feel like that is so huge for me because I always thought, I am the problem, my mind is the problem. Uh, Maya's, yeah, you are the problem, and the problem you are is you're allowing Maya to influence you. So it's kind of like... You know, you have to be a willing partner to dance with Maya. More ways you can help. 
Yeah. So you just go to yeah. You can help. It's I I I I know often devotees want to help, but they don't actually know what I need, and so often I've seen devotees could help financially, but they don't because they don't know I need it. And so you know, why should I give it to you? I can give it to something else. So no, just to know I do need it, especially now, and especially for the preaching that we want to do. We we need money because we have to hire professionals who can who can do marketing and so forth. And you know, we just spend a few hundred dollars on uh, our website to upgrade it, to make it better, faster, more efficient. So we do these things, you know, and you know, you just have you know maintain a Google account to to have space online and whatever else we do. You know, all these facilities that you take advantage of, they do cost money. So if you can help. That's good, and I also like to eat and have a play a roof over my head, so that helps. Um, and service opportunities, but yeah, video editors are always welcome. Uh, editors are super welcome. We need we need editors because I do a lot of writing. Um, so I'm trying to have so trying to have as much as possible association by two gurus. Meaning you introduce Swamiraj. It means I'm over dependent on personal association in my groups. That only you can answer. Um, you you know, I mean one way to answer this question is you'll find out when we're not here. <laughs> That's how you'll find out. If you if your Krishna consciousness collapsed in our absence, yeah, then you were that means over dependent. I know a devotee who went through a divorce and which the temple sides one spouse avoids taking Talking to the other devotee in the temple, he still does book distribution, but he still feels discouraged. How can he keep himself encouraged with no association? Without association, you can't. You have to get it virtually. You have to have at least one friend, somebody. It's not that we don't accept accent syllables, it's just that we don't realize we do it because it's natural to us. Okay, we do accent syllables? I mean, long? Do we? I'm not, okay, I'm not aware of it. I'm a bona fide American. Please watch this class which Mother Krishnandini gave yesterday preparing for life's final exam. What is the duty of a person about to die? Fantastic. Can you send me that link coming here? Marsha's passing is definitely legendary. Many of us will surely be saying, I remember exactly where I was and what I was doing when I heard about Bhakti Marsha's departure. Uh, okay, we can go now. That wasn't another... You're getting, you're getting all bonuses. Every day we're, we're going for almost two hours. So... You're getting bonuses at no extra cost. Hare Krishna. And in, in two hours, we're going to chant Japa if you want to join us the, somewhere. My website or Facebook page is the Zoom address. Or maybe somebody knows it, they can put it in. And We may increase this program to three days a week because the devotees really like it. Not a lot of devotees are coming. It's, it's a good time if you're in Hawaii because it's 6 a.m. Not necessarily a good time anywhere else. I guess it's okay for L.A. It's nine, but usually you would be chanting earlier. So, um, 
you're all invited to come. And we have a few classes tomorrow. Go on my website and look. We have a class on forgiveness, and we have a class on the the um, principles, um, success principles of the Gita, which is more of a thematic study of the Gita in terms of personal development, things that Krishna says that in the personal development area that we can use. And um, the, the class on forgiveness is a little more practical, workshop-like, and it, and then Sunday we have the Kirtan, and Sunday we have Sunday Feast in Denver, I think. It's all being advertised, so you can follow that. Hare Krishna. Srila Prabhupada Ki Jai. Go Brahmanandi. Hari Hari Bol.